If you brought your Bible, please open with me to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 2, the, the message that was just read, the, the scripture that was just read, we will be working through this morning. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, we will be working through this morning. Uh, as you're turning there, uh, do you notice how there are many products out there that have warning labels on them? They, they stick these warning labels on to ensure that uh, you don't use the, the, the particular product improperly because it might cause harm or damage to you. Uh, well, there are some warning labels that are put on products that seem a bit ridiculous. Uh, for example, if you go to Home Depot and you see a wheelbarrow, a normal yard wheelbarrow that you can throw your uh, chainsaw or blocks of uh, blocks of cinder blocks in your wheelbarrow and you can wheel them around your yard, on that wheelbarrow there is a warning label that says, not intended for highway use. I'm just picturing Howard Begbie. And Dean Stone getting a bright idea and saying, we are going to take this bad boy on, on I-80. We're going to throw an engine in this thing, and we are going to go on I-80. Uh, also, for you parents, you probably have seen these uh, warning labels. If you buy a new stroller, uh, it, it, you, you buy a new stroller, and on the warning labels on the stroller, it will tell you, remove child before folding. You would think that would be self-explanatory, but you know the reason is there because there was that one parent. And pediatricians like Scott need to deal with these parents and not say, are you out of your ever-loving mind? There are reasons for them. Okay, bear with me. Just, just one of these warning labels that I have to pull out. Um, and so uh, my email address is carl at sierrabible.org if you take exception to this. Um, there's a warning label on a thermometer that says, and I won't use the language, but if you use the thermometer in one particular way, after you use it that particular way, do not use it orally. Three of you got it because the warning label is for people like you. Uh, we'll just do this last one here. Um, no, yeah, we'll just do this last one. Uh, if you go, also go to Home Depot, you'll find a nice carpenter's drill. Drill nice big holes into wood, uh, into, into wood so that make you, you can make sure that you get the, whatever piece of, of equipment inside of the hole that you're drilling in. Well, there are these large carpentry drills that will have a warning label on the carpenter's drill that says, not intended for use in dentistry. <laughs> in all seriousness, though, warning labels are there for a purpose because if we don't heed them, we could cause serious harm to the child in the stroller as we're folding it up, or the dentist who thinks he can save a couple of dollars and not get a specialized dentistry drill, but they actually use a carpenter's drill to drill. I'm not going to that dentist. 
Well, today we are going to unpack the, the first of five distinct passages throughout the book of Hebrews that are intended to warn us. They are warning labels in the scriptures that, that help us to see what the results and the consequences are if, if we neglect our spiritual response to who Christ is and what Christ has done for us. If uh, you like messages in just one particular sentence, the, the message of the warning label is this, is because Jesus is a superior message, He's a superior message to all other messages. We should listen to him. We should listen to the message that Jesus has delivered to us. Today we're going to see one warning and one consequence of not failing to heed that warning. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just ask that you would bless our time in your word. We ask that you would help us to see and savor who you are. And we pray, God, that your message would ring loud and clear, not just in our ears, but in our souls. That you would keep us from drifting away from you. And that we would hold fast to the message that we have received from you this morning. God, we love you and we praise you. In the name of Jesus, amen. So as we've been working through the, the epistle to the Hebrews, we've noticed that uh, the author opens up with this magisterial first chapter, describing Jesus as a better revelation of who God is and a better revelation of the message of the gospel, the message of God. And because of that, he is in a superior position to all other created beings, especially the created being of the angels. He's in a superior position because of who he is. We've seen this through the first chapter. But the author to the Hebrews, he's not just writing a theological essay to fill your minds with truth about who God is, as wonderful and satisfying as that might be. He's giving a theological argument in chapter 1 for a specific pastoral purpose. He's not just telling truth to prove to everybody that he knows more than his audience. He's speaking the truth and he's unpacking who God is and what the message of the gospel is as communicated by Jesus so that he might give specific exhortations to the people that he is listening to the people that who are listening to him, who are reading this letter. He has a pastoral tone and tenor throughout this entire epistle. He unpacks truth, yes, and some of it is glorious and weighty and will cause our souls to be filled with awe at the person of Jesus for all that he is. But he does this specifically so that he might apply it specifically to the lives of those who are reading this message. And today, in these four verses, to begin chapter 2, he's going to take the massive amount of theological truth that he has just explained in chapter 1 and now drill down to the core of their soul and say, this is what you need to do with this message. Because Jesus is so superior to angels, you need to listen to him more than you listen to any other message. 
And this serves as a warning for the up in this particular way. Verse chapter one or chapter two, verse one. Therefore, the therefore is there for explaining the linking to the entire first chapter. So in light of everything that I've told you about the position of Jesus being superior to angels, the revelation of Jesus being a superior message to the the former ways in which God communicated. Therefore, in light of all of that, therefore, we... Notice how the author puts himself right in the audience. We, you and I, together, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard. There's a proclivity within the audience that the author to the Hebrews is speaking to for them to go back to the past, for them to go back to the old ways of of approaching God through the temple and the sacrifices and and all of the old ways that God had communicated to his people. There there was a a temptation within their soul to say, I want to go back. I miss the old ways. I miss the old ways of communicating with God. I miss the old ways of, of doing things. And the author of the Hebrews uh, begins by saying, but Jesus is so much better. Jesus is so much better. And because he is so much better, you and I, we, we need to pay much closer attention to the message that we've heard. The verb here, pay attention, it has a, a, another a nuance or connotation to hold fast. So it's not simply just your, your focus or your attention, but it's also your activity of grasping onto something. Uh, so while we can think of it in terms of paying attention, to not, of not being distracted, we can also uh, think of it in such a way of, of holding fast to something that is important to us. So we pay attention much closer. And this much closer word here is an emphasis, emphasizing the degree. It can also mean extremely. So hold extremely close. Pay an exorbitant amount of attention to the message that has been delivered, the, to what we have heard to what we have heard is a, is, a, is a verb that is an intense that means that the message has been completed. We, we've heard this. We've received the fullness of the revelation. And because of that, we need to pay much closer attention to it so that we can apply it in every area of our lives. The exhortation is very simple. Pay closer to the message that Jesus came to deliver. Pay close attention to what Jesus has said, what he has done, who he is. Pay extreme amount of careful attention to hold fast to the message that Jesus came to deliver. Then he gives the consequence at the end of verse 1. What happens if we don't pay close attention to what we have heard? If we don't hold fast 
to the faith that has been once and for all delivered, to what we have heard. If we don't do this, lest we drift away from it. The author of the Hebrews uh, enjoys employing nautical metaphors. If you turn with me to the right in your Bible, uh, to chapter 6 in Hebrews, talking about the, the message that, that Jesus came to deliver, of who he is and what he has done. Look at chapter 6, verse 19. It says this, or so we'll, we'll, uh, yeah, well, verse 19. It says this about the hope of the message that, that we have in Christ. Verse 19, we have this, this hope that he just talked about in verse 18, this hope, this message as a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul. Now go back to the, the passage at hand. We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. The image of the message being the, this anchor that, that roots us in the middle of the ocean as the storms and waves and currents attempt to push us away, the anchor holds us secure. The anchor keeps us grounded in one particular place while the currents of the storms of the ocean cause us to drift. My grandfather was a uh, Coast Guard, was in the Coast Guard just after World War II, loved the open sea. If the Lord hadn't called him to missionary service uh, in overseas, he probably would have been satisfied sailing the seven seas for the entirety of his life. Well, after he retired and, and he, they established themselves in, in Florida, one of the, the privileges of being a, one of his grandsons is that he bought a boat in his retirement, and we would go down to Florida, and we would just go, go boating out on the ocean. And boy, did his, his tenor and countenance change when he was out on the water. You have those things in life that just bring you joy, just, just doing them, just gifts of God that are just, this is so much fun. That was boating, sailing for my grandfather. Well, because he had a boat and he lived in Florida, uh, we also decided, the, my cousins and I, we decided, you know what, let's, let's get our, our scuba diving certification. So as we were late teens, early 20s, we, we did the whole scuba diving certification. Our grandpa would take us out on the boat. He'd uh, hook up to a buoy that was anchored into the ground, and we would go diving in the coral reefs in uh, Florida. And it was a lot of fun. Well, as you are scuba diving, most of you, who, those of you who know this, uh, who have done this, know that the, the principle when you're diving is that sometimes the current can be rather strong. So when you're diving, you want to, at first, start swimming against the current so that after your oxygen is running a little bit low, the current can bring you back to the boat. Well, uh, one particular uh, afternoon, my cousin and I, we were strong, athletic, uh, 19, 20-year-olds. We thought, you know what, we got this. Even though the, the current was rather strong, we said, well, we're going to go diving. We're going to do, do what we've been trained. We're going to go against the current for the first half. Then we will allow for the current to drift us back to the boat, and then we will rise uh, right near the boat once our oxygen is done. Uh, the current was rather strong this day. We went down, we swam against the current, 
with all of our strength, all of our energy along the ridge of the coral reef. Uh, the, uh, we, kept go- we kept going as, as far as we could. We got about half of our oxygen. We popped up and the boat was hundreds of yards away. It did not matter how strong or athletic or confident or experienced we were as scuba divers. All of our efforts, all of our toil, all of our struggle was not strong enough to overcome the power of the current. When the current is that strong, what does a diver need? It needs to attach itself to an anchor, does it not? Brothers and sisters, I can see you already making the spiritual connections in your mind. I can see you making the, 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 the link between your faith and attempting to do things in your own strength. Brothers and sisters, we have this message of Jesus as a sure and steadfast anchor for our soul. But yet so many of us still continue to think, you know what, Jesus, I got this. I go to church. I attend a Bible study. My kids are being raised in the Lord. Don't worry about this one, Jesus. I got this taken care of. Brothers and sisters, this message in light of the first chapter, this message from Hebrews to us today is that we need to pay close attention. We need to hold fast to the message of the gospel. We don't hold fast to the message of our own good works. We don't hold fast to the message of our own righteousness. We don't hold fast to the message that we are in and of ourselves good enough and strong enough and great enough to do this thing called the spiritual journey alone. We need a sure and steadfast anchor for our souls. And if we don't, brothers, you and I, we all will drift. So right now, even as I'm preaching, what comes to mind as the top thing in your life that is causing drifting? If you can't think of it right now, as I'm speaking, you're already being caught up in it. You're already being swept away. If you, don't, if you can't think of the one thing that is tempting you most to drag you away from Jesus and say, you know what, Jesus, I got this. I'm going to just go in my own strength on this, and I don't need you to intervene in this area. That's the most tempting thing for your life. I'll tell you what it is for me. It's my family and my achievements. I love my family. I love working hard. I I love uh, getting accolades and prestige for the things that I've accomplished. But there's a subtle temptation within there, is there not, to say, yeah, I I did this all myself. My kids get good grades because I'm a great dad. (laughs) They know that that's not true. There's a temptation to put my wife or my family or my kids on a pedestal and say, wow, look at how great they are. I must be a really great guy. And very easily, if that's not tethered 
to the message of the person and the work of Jesus saying, I am undeserving of anything good. And it's only by God's grace that anything good happens to me. And I overflow with worship and thanksgiving because of all that God has done. Unless I keep that perspective, continually focusing and applying the message of Jesus to all areas of my life, I'm going to be adrift at sea. But he doesn't stop just in verse 1. He also wants to make sure that people understand how reliable and trustworthy this message is, starting in verse 2. For since the message delivered by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just, just retribution. He's calling to mind their understanding of the Old Testament law. There was a tradition in first century Judaism uh, that believed that when Moses was on Sinai, it was the angels who delivered the law from God to Moses. Moses inscribed it and then delivered it to the people. Uh, this has very little biblical warrant. There's no specific text that tells this, but it was a tradition based upon the Old Testament scriptures that was very popular in first century Judaism. And it's rooted in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 2. It says this, The, the Lord came from Sinai and dawned from Seir upon us. He shone forth from Mount Paran, and he came from ten thousands of holy ones with flames of fire at his right hand. And that understanding of what happened at Sinai, that there were tens of thousands of angels there, developed a, a teaching within first century Judaism that the angels were the ones who delivered the law to Moses on Sinai. So he's taking that understanding of first century Judaism and saying, okay, if I'll, I'll, give you, I'll give you that the angels delivered the law to Moses, for, but if that message from the angels proved to be reliable, in other words, if the Old Testament law had provisions for accountability structures so that after that they had been delivered from Egypt into the promised land and they were given this law that they were to live under, and that proved to be reliable that every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. So even from the smallest sins that needed some sort of sacrifice and uh, some, sort of, some sort of small restitution in order for that sin to be covered, to the largest, most heinous sins that received the death penalty, every transgression received a just retribution underneath the law. The, the author of the Hebrews is giving them that. Look, if the message that the angels delivered under the Old, Old Testament law, if, if that was fair, if that was just, if nobody got away with doing things just according to their own law or their own deeds, if that received a just retribution, if nobody, if everyone under the law was held accountable, and he ratchets it up, the argument in verse 3. Look at verse 3. If that was what it was like through the law delivered by angels, verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? This salvation wasn't just God parting the Red Sea and allowing the Israelites to exit their slavery in Egypt. This salvation was God himself coming down as the Son 
speaking the message and the teachings of wisdom from God himself through his son to his people, saying, this is the way, walk in it. Dying for sin, atoning for sin in his own body on the tree. Being raised three days later, being resurrected from the dead, and allowing for every person from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language to come to God directly through the and directly access Him through the person and the work of Jesus by the Spirit at work. And when the message of the gospel is proclaimed, if we neglect that great a salvation, do we think we're going to escape? If the message of the angels was proved to be reliable through centuries of Old Testament law and history, how much more is the reliability of the message of Jesus? And he, he works systematically through why it's trustworthy. Verse three, the second part of verse 3, it was declared for, at first by the Lord. Jesus himself said these things. We have it recorded for us in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the words and the voice of Jesus himself. At first, he testified to these things. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. John 14, 6. Or Mark chapter 10, verse 45. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many, he himself testified to his own gospel. Then he accomplished the gospel. It was declared at first by the Lord. And it was attested to us, the author to the Hebrews and the community that he's speaking to, attested to us by those who heard. There was eyewitnesses that heard the message of Jesus themselves. They heard Jesus say it. They saw his death on the cross. They visibly saw him resurrected from the dead bodily. They heard and displayed this message then to other people. And as they were bearing witness and attesting to the message from as eyewitnesses, look at what happens in verse 4. As they were attesting to the message of the gospel, as the gospel was being proclaimed from the Lord through the people who heard it, while God also, verse 4, while God also bore witnesses by signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Just as God had delivered Israel with the parting of the Red Sea and providing manna by providing manna each day in the wilderness by allowing for water to come out of a rock and provide signs and wonders and, and miracles that happened to the people of Israel. So also, after Jesus rose from the dead and the New Testament church was born and the gospel was being proclaimed throughout all different tribes and tongues and people and languages, God himself was testifying, this message is true. And lives were being changed. People were being healed. The, eye, the, dead, the, the, the deaf were receiving their, their hearing. The, the, the blind's eyes were being opened. God himself was testifying, this message is true. Believe this message as God the Holy Spirit distributed gifts to his church according to the will of God. When I was a young man, my, that same time around when I was uh, drifting at sea with, with uh, my grandfather in Florida, 
a strong, athletic, confident college student, ready to take on the world, rolling up his sleeves and ready to achieve whatever is set before, before me. At that same time in my life, I realized that what was drifting wasn't just my scuba diving ability that afternoon in Florida. Right around that time period, even though I had been raised in a faithful, godly church, much like Sierra Bible Church, even though I'd heard the message of the gospel week after week growing up, my soul wasn't tethered to the anchor. I thought I had had this life figured out. I thought I could do things in my own strength and, and satisfy myself in whatever ways I desired, and, and Jesus was just going to be cool with that. Well, through a large number of events that, that happened, it was as if for a season in my life from 20 to 21 years old, it was just like Jesus himself by his spirit was just putting warning labels on everything for me, on everything. Now, if, if you're a lawyer, that's awesome. It's a great career, great vocation. I was pursuing it. I was, interning in a, I was interning in a law firm, and as I was pursuing it, it was as if God was just putting a warning there. Carl, don't go that direction. Don't give yourself to the prestige of, of a juris doctorate. Don't give yourself over to that. As I was pursuing athletics and, and uh, in, uh, as a college athlete thinking, you know what, maybe... Maybe I'll do coaching for the rest of my life. Maybe I'll continue this trajectory and path of, of athletics. It was as if Jesus was putting a warning, warning label on that saying, Carl, don't give yourself to athletics. I'll spare you the details of him blowing up other relationships with females. But as there was warning labels on each one, there was a brunette that was playing the piano one afternoon, and there wasn't a warning label on that one. She put up some resistance, but I wore her down. Brothers and sisters, the pastoral word that the author to the Hebrews is giving to his people in the first century is not a message of hellfire and brimstone. It's a message of life. It's a message of if you want to experience this life now and the life that is to come, the way that God intended and God designed, tether your soul to the anchor who will stabilize you, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, I think there's two takeaways that we need to hear from this. First of all, is if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have already confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that Lord God raised him from the dead, don't go anywhere. Stay anchored and tethered to this message and apply it to every area of your life. Pay close attention unswervingly to the message of the gospel. 
Secondly, if you are a believer at Jesus Christ here this morning, secondly, get involved deeply in a community that will help you stay anchored. Life gets complicated, brothers and sisters. And without a community that is able to hold you accountable to this message, we are prone to drift and prone to wander. As the, my family gets more complicated and complex with social circles and various groups, it would be so easy for us to neglect the most important group that God has called us to labor and journey with to hold us accountable and to keep us close to the gospel and replace that fellowship, replace what God has intended the church to be with other groups that don't care about the gospel, but will help us drift farther and farther away from Jesus. First, individually, stay close to Jesus. Stay close to the gospel. Secondly, get deeply involved in a community that will hold you accountable. And I'm not talking about arm's length accountability of, of saying, yep, we attend the same church. I'm held accountable. I'm talking about a group of fellow Christians whom you know you and you know them to such a degree that it would not be foreign for you to share the darkest, deepest sins in your life and hear the message of the gospel back from them because of your confession of faith and because of the confession of your sins, you are forgiven because that's what Christ came to do and that is the message of the gospel. These are the ways in which God keeps us anchored to himself through the message of the gospel. But lastly, some of you here, some of you here are, are drifting out at sea and you're just riding the wave. This is great. The higher the waves, the, the bigger the swell, the, the surf is great. And the lies of the world will, will tell you that it's, it's going to be fun forever. But brothers and sisters, the, the swell is too big and you are not strong enough and eventually one of those waves is going to come crashing on you. And you will need to pray. And you will pray at that time that you have an anchor or a lifeboat to preserve your souls. If you do have never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, if you've never believed this message that we talk about every single week, talk with myself, talk with one of the pastors. Cassidy will give you a detailed explanation for 30 minutes. Glenn will just tell you, repent and believe, dude. The other shepherds will be much more pastoral and loving, so talk with them. But do not neglect the salvation that God has given to his people through the person and work of Jesus and enter into a relationship with him today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you that, we praise you for the message of the gospel. God, we praise you that it serves as an anchor for our soul that it helps us to not drift when we hold fast to it. When we attach ourselves to the gospel, God, you, 
You destroy the, the lies of the evil one. And you help us to stay anchored and stable. God, I pray that you would do a deep and abiding work in our people here today. God, I pray for any who may not know you, who may not have the, the anchor of the faith deeply embedded in their soul. God, I pray that they would today pay close attention to what they have heard and that they would never turn away from it. Help us, O oh God, to walk with you closely, to not turn to the left nor to the right, but to stay tethered fully and entirely to you. God, we love you and we praise you. And we worship you here this morning. In the name of Jesus, amen.